speaking of what the Spirit would say to the churches, uh, we're going to be starting Revelation in a couple weeks, not next week. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about 2nd and 3rd John, and then we are going to begin diving into the book of Revelation through pretty much through the end of the year. Um, not, I think we'll end right before Christmas. So I'm excited about that. And I just want to remind you that we did the Gospel of John. We're in John's letters, and we're going to read John's Revelation. And they're all written by the same guy. And uh, there, is strong, there is strong evidence that all three of John's pieces of writings uh, are really telling the same story in three different ways. And um, I'm excited to approach Revelation in that light because a lot of times you hear, you see like a, just a little passage out of Revelation and you're like, what in the world is going on? Uh, and you can't really, it's hard to find your moorings in the book of Revelation. Well, I think reading it in light of John's other writings really helps us actually get some traction in that book and some understanding. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to pull out one point that's kind of a a preview of some of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, tonight at some point. Uh, But tonight we're trying to finish up 1 John, and really the theme tonight, the the big point tonight, is uh, that, that eternal life in the world, eternal life in this life, this side of eternity, this side of death and resurrection, uh, is a life of overcoming and victory. And that is a big message that John's trying to get across. Now, if you read Revelation, that is a major theme. We are conquerors to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers. And they have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And I think that's another song that he picked and he's waiting to play at the end, right? Are you going to play that song after we? Um, Overcomers. All right. The, the, the book of Revelation was written for a church that was experiencing in, intense opposition and persecution. And he's writing to say, yes, it is getting, it's getting intense out there. But let me remind you, we are the winners. We know uh, how to be victorious. We know how to overcome. Satan will not get the final victory. And so that's really the truth that I want to to end our study of 1 John with, to kind of launch us into Revelation. Amen? So our hearts are ready to receive that word of, of victory. Not confusion, not getting muddled around in the symbols, but we are a church that has been called to exist in a time and a place in a world that hates us. It will hate us. It says, do not be surprised, little children. The world hates you. Don't be surprised. He says it right here in the letter. And we are... We know how to be victorious in this world. And uh, that, so that's, that's really what I want to talk about tonight. And that's, um, that's the gist of it. So open to 1 John chapter 3. I think we, we left off somewhere halfway through chapter 3 last week. Um, so let's pick up with... Verse 13 is as good a place as any. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd anoint our time in the word. Thank you for it. Thank you for scripture. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired it. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who ministers it to our hearts. We open our hearts uh, to your work tonight and to your word uh, and to what you would hear, uh, what, we, what you would have us hear tonight, God. In the name of Jesus, for his glory, amen. So I just want to point out that towards the end of the, towards the second half of the book, well, let, let me just say this. I'll get this out of the way. Halfway through the Gospel of John, around chapter 12. You remember that it kind of shifts halfway through. The first half is the book of signs. In chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, there's a distinct moment where Jesus says, it's time. The hour has come. And here's one of the things. It's right in the middle of the Gospel. It comes right at the center point, which in a lot of ancient literature was the most important one, the most important part. When you get to the middle... It was, kind of a, it was kind of a style of writing. What you, want, what you want people to understand is the most important thing. You put it right in the middle. All right? So right here in the middle of the Gospel of John, talking about how the Son of Man is going to be glorified. He's going to be lifted up. But he says this, <coughs> chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Halfway through the book of Revelation, there's a shift. Lo and behold. (laughs) Chapter 12. There's 21 chapters of Revelation. Chapter 12. Here's what it says. Chapter 12, verse 7 in Revelation. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent. Who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. Now it's so great that we've been reading 1 John. Because you can hear, in the midst of the, the apocalyptic language, you can hear what he's saying. The deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now! That's what Jesus said. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God And the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Right in the middle of the book of Revelation. Now, what does it say right here in the middle of 1 John? 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning, that ancient serpent, right? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And so it makes sense then from that point on in the letter, well, from that point on in the gospel, we see Jesus go to the cross. We see him win the victory by taking on the sins of men, by being killed and, and ultimately being raised in the power of God and ascending to the right hand of the Father. In Revelation, we see eventually the victorious Jesus coming down and taking authority and ruling and driving out darkness and banishing sinners from the earth and, and gathering up everything that is evil, everything that destroys mankind and the earth, gathers it all up and casts it out. And here in the second half of the letter, we have John calling his people, calling his churches, calling his little children to faithfulness. In spite of what they feel, in spite of the opposition they experience, faithfulness because the victory is ours. The victory is his, and in him it is ours. So, chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Remember I talked about the four, there are four, depending on how you count them. There are four real obstacles to, to living in the eternal life that, that John talks about in this gospel. And the first one is our own sin and our own weakness. Right? He talks about that at length. Yes, when the light comes, the sin is very apparent. The fact that we have sinned and gone astray and we are not as we should be, that is apparent. Guess what? When the light comes and we confess our sins, he forgives us our sins, and the blood of the Lamb cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's, that, it's by that blood that we overcome. That blood of the Lamb cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so, God, and so John is going to systematically go through and show how God is, and the key word here is greater. Right? We open up that Sahar, God is greater. You know, I was going through and I circle all the places where he says God is greater. So here's our first one right here. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. There's a, there's a, there's a war that we have when we come out of death into life our own heart wants to, wants to accuse us, right? And it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Night and day, he's accusing us before God. What does it say in John's letter that Jesus is doing before God? He's advocating. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If we sin, we have an ad- Jesus is our advocate. Satan is our accuser, right? And our hearts get wrapped up in that. But when we come and when we confess our sins and we receive the, the, the just forgiveness of God and the cleansing of God 
And then our heart begins to creep back in and say, yeah, but it says God's greater than our heart. You don't have to listen to that anymore. And it says, if you are, if you are in fact loving, not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In other words, if you're walking in the light, you have no reason, no reason to ever listen to your heart when it condemns you. Now, there's an important caveat here. If you are only saying, like he talks about in the beginning, if you're only saying, I love God, but you actually hate your brother, then your heart's actually right when it condemns you. Because you're not loving in deed and truth. You're loving in word and talk. And so word and talk is fickle. Word and talk is cheap. And if your reliance, if your faith is in what you can say about yourself, then that is a very uncertain place to be. Right? And you don't have, another key word in this letter is confidence. You don't have boldness. Because you're living a lie. And so that's why when you, when you live a lie, when you project an image of yourself, you are highly insecure and you don't even know if God loves you. Right? Because you think that nobody actually knows the truth. What does it say? Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So if you've come into the light, And you've said, God, you know everything. You see me. I need help. I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. And if that is truly your posture, then you have no reason to be shaken in your faith. You have no reason to not be bold. Another word from a song tonight. Bold I approach the eternal throne. Because I've I've confessed my sin and I've said, yes, I am a sinner. I need your grace. And he says, yes, you do. Come on in. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. If we're walking in the light, we can say, no, no. John must know. He's a pastor, right? John must know that your heart will condemn you. Your heart has become conditioned in that way. We've been reborn and we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. But in the process of that, our heart might come back under the influence of Satan, and begin to accuse us. He is the, the accuser. No, no, no. If I sin, I bring it out in the open, and I have an advocate. I don't have an accuser, I have an advocate. Amen? If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That word is boldness. It's, it's like almost like swagger, right? Someone who just doesn't care what anyone, someone who just, they just are who they are. Nothing to hide. It's boldness. We have boldness before God. We have nothing to hide. We're not trying to put on airs. That's an awesome place to be. Yes, God, you know everything. I'm not fooling anyone. So the first place where John wants, to, John wants us to know that God is greater, that we overcome, is in our own hearts. In our own hearts. Right? He's dealt with the sin there. He's brought the light into our hearts. But then he's, he's bringing us beyond 
what we even can believe of our own selves. That's pretty powerful to think about. That you can stand before God and be confident. If you have come into the light. And Satan will do everything in his power to keep you out of the light. Because he knows the confidence and the victory that comes in the lives of those who do come into the light. He knows he's toast when you come into the light. And so he wants to keep you in darkness. All right. Our own sin, our own weakness, our own fear. Another place where he talks about confidence in our own standing before God is in uh, chapter 4, verse 17. By this is the love of God perfected with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We've become partakers of the divine nature. Now, see, this is in this world. This is why eternal life is not a far off thing. Eternal life is what we experience now when we have been reborn. As he is, so also are we in this world. We're his sons and his daughters. And so we have confidence for the day of judgment. And we know that, yeah, you came into this world too. You experienced all this stuff too. We have an advocate, our brother Jesus. Amen. So then another obstacle to life in the body of Christ, in the community of God, is deceivers, liars. Right Here in chapter 4, he says, Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then he says, you can tell them it's pretty easy. Who do they say that Jesus is? That's the test. If they believe that Jesus is everything that, he, that God says he is, great. If they have a problem with that, it's a false spirit. That's the Antichrist. He says, you've heard the Antichrist is coming, and it's now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God's greater than our heart. He who is in us is greater than the world, than he who is in the world. And then the other obstacle, well, Satan himself, the evil one himself, was an obstacle. We, saw, we, we read about that in chapter 3. He destroyed the works of the enemy. <laughs> the reason God, Jesus appeared, Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. That's a pretty clear statement on the fate of, of the evil one as an obstacle to, to our life. But then the fourth one is chapter 5, the world. Remember, the world is there. All that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from God. And whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. But here in chapter 5, it says, everyone who has been born of God, and again, that's a phrase that can kind of, you can go numb to, but everyone that's experienced a radical rebirth into eternal life by believing in Jesus Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What does that mean? This is a word, this is the Greek word that they named the Nike shoes after, right? The goddess of victory. You know, they've got this new Nike store going up in the, it's this big, you don't, they don't even have to say Nike, all they have to put is the swoosh and everybody knows what they're talking about. Right? I'm a kind of a 90s kid and so like having stuff with the swoosh on it was a big deal. Now I don't think we're as brand crazy. But man, I went, you go to, <laughs> down to Mexico and they were like drawing the swoosh on their shoes down there, on their, on their little flip-flops. You know? We've got to have the swoosh. Why? Why is that? Why are we captured by that idea? It's, it, the whole brand image is that of victory and overcoming. Wear these shoes so you can win. And people who win, we pay them a lot of money to tell you to buy these shoes too, like Michael Jordan. They're winners, right? But he says, you know, that's, this is actually how you win. This is the victory that overcomes the world. See, the world is after victory. He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And faith means, it means belief, it means trust, but it also means faithfulness. Our victory is sticking to what we know about Jesus. Our victory is continuing no matter what the outcome says, no matter what the world says, no matter what the false prophets say, continuing to live in complete trust to God, love of God, and to lay down our lives for each other. And if you are doing that, you're winning. That's the metric. Are you faithful? Are you, maintain, are you staying the course? And if you are, it doesn't matter what it looks like. And Revelation is going to make this absolutely clear. If you actually saw what was going on, not just through the headlines and, and in your own little, but if you actually saw the war that is raging and the victory that is being worked out, it would blow your mind. In fact, it, it leads to some pretty, some, some, some literature, some language that, that, that doesn't even make sense. You know, John, the things that John sees is sometimes hard to put into language. It's hard to understand. What is it that he actually saw? But there's this great struggle, this great battle raging as the saints of God seek to remain faithful in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And he says, your faith, your faithfulness, your trust in God is game, set, and match. And so we don't have to go out there and win. We have to stay faithful. Amen? This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes? And it just, it keeps coming back to this, that Jesus is the Son of God. You mean to tell me that I can win every battle that I need to win by believing that Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah. So here's how I would say it in kind of, more contemporary terms. Winning as a Christian equals going all in on Jesus. 
That's it. How do you win? How do you win life? You go all in on Jesus. And where you haven't, that's going to be a place where you're going to experience defeat, where you're going to experience fear, where you're going to experience doubt, and where your confidence is going to be shaken. And where you're not going to understand, why is this happening to me? But when you go all in on Jesus and you are, you are enveloped in his love, this is what it all comes back to. When you walk around knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, you walk around knowing that there is a love that is directed towards you that is unimaginable. I mean, if you always knew that at every moment of the day, what kind of life would you live? What, what power would that give you? What freedom, what joy? Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God. Right? He's not saying, go out there and just love God. And one day you'll love him enough. No, he says, this is, hold on. In this is love, not that we have loved God, that he loved us. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. By this is love perfected with us so that we have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. This is 4.18. There is no fear in love. A perfect love casts out fear. Casts out self-condemnation. Casts out fear. Gives us confidence. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This gets back to kind of the first point. This is, this is something in us where we, where we fear. We fear to approach God. This is, if you understand the love of God, it casts out fear. Right? Just, like Satan, just like if God casts Satan out of heaven, right? could, could he kind of stick around if he wanted to a little bit here and there? No. Like when God casts something out, he casts it out. When Jesus casts out a demon, it leaves. When the love of God casts out fear, it's gone. Someone here may need to hear that tonight. Freedom. Not, not by gritting your teeth and doing it better. Letting, just let God love you. Let him cast the fear out. Hallelujah. All right, so back to chapter 5. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Uh, let's see. So there's a strange thing about how, how Jesus is like triple, 
testimony of the water and the blood and the spirit. And I don't know how to explain that very well. So maybe ask me later. But here's, I want to say in verse 9. This is another greater. If we receive the testimony of men, right? There's people testifying things out there. Testimony of God is greater. This is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son has the testimony in himself. Verse 11, this is the testimony. This is what God says. And he says, you better believe this. It's trustworthy. It's more trustworthy than anything you've ever heard. That's what he's saying. I don't care what anyone's ever told you, how sure they are of it. This is greater than that. And let me tell you what the testimony is. God gave us, past tense, eternal life. You walk in eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. There we go. That's what God says. He says, this is my son. This is who he is. And this is what will happen if you place all of your trust and abandon yourself and totally sell out for him. You're actually going to find yourself more alive than you've ever been. You're going to discover a life that goes way beyond what you thought life was. It's eternal life. It's the life of the age to come. It's life as it should be. It's life as God created it before we messed it up by abandoning him. So then he closes it out. And we've, we've talked about this a couple times. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So you believe in him? Let me tell you, you have eternal life. And again, this is in the context of there's lots of, re- there's lots of indicators out there that might, would try and tell us that I don't know if this is the life that God intended. Right? All those obstacles that we talked about. He says, no, you have eternal life. And the world's going to hate you, and Satan's going to hate it, and the people are going to try to lie to you, and your own heart's going to condemn you. You have eternal life now. And I can't wait to get to Revelation because this becomes so much of a, of a cry of triumph. We have eternal life. Right? Look at the downfall of the, every enemy of God. God is shaking the earth and those that put their trust in him, they're they're emerging and shining like stars. So it says again, confidence. This is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Why is that? Because we are now walking in the kind of life that he created for us. And that life is intimate fellowship with God. So in that context of intimate fellowship with God, as you come across a need and you bring it to God, he goes, yes, I see you. And I'm going to pour out my grace and equip you to be an overcomer in whatever area you're experiencing weakness or opposition. And you can be confident of that. That whatever you need to live this life, God's got you. What did he tell his disciples? I'm with you to the end of the age. Right? This age is going to get, it's going to get rough. 
I'm going to be with you all the way to the end of the age. What's after the end of the age? The age to come. Eternal life. And he says, as long as it's the age to come, (laughs) I am with you and I hear you and you have my spirit. So then he just kind of recaps here at the end, verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God doesn't keep sinning. That old life is done. We're living a new kind of life. All right. You got to know that it's a new kind of life now. New creation. He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know, number two, that we are from God. We are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So as we exist here, we're a different kind of person on the earth. All right? We're living a different kind of life, and we are different than those who are still in the world because it's an entirely different set of motives. Remember, what is in the world? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Those are the key drivers of existence for everyone who lives apart from God. Those are the motives behind everything that they do. We don't live that way anymore. We live in fellowship with God and out of his love. And our motive is not our desires. Our motive is love. That is our motive because we have been transformed into his image. And then finally, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. He's basically saying, you can be sure of this. You can hang all of your weight on this. And if you know this, you don't need anything else. I think that was a temptation in the early church. That yes, this is an interesting teaching. Let's... Let's, let's take it along with other things. You know, it's Jesus plus other things. No, he says, this is it. This is all there is. We are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Don't give in to the pressure to try and make your own truth, to try and make your own vision of life. Live in this. Don't live in anything else. Don't turn from it. Because when you do, you expose yourself to all of the evils, to all of the fears, to all of the sins. If you are sold out for Jesus, you've already overcome. When you give yourself over to an idol, you abandon that victory and and you become a victim of the world. So he says, stay in this. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Our faithfulness. Our faithfulness to the true God. Our faithfulness to Jesus. Our pursuit of him. Amen? All right, so I think the biggest thing I wanted to point out is that John begins to indicate that there is opposition. There is a war. There is a battle. But God's people are victorious. And here's the way that they're victorious. And so I think that primes us perfectly to head into Revelation and not get all confused and bogged down. Right? We want to read the book of Revelation as a church that is living eternal life in the Son of God. And we want to, we, I think we'll go places that we haven't gone yet in overcoming in any of those areas that John, that John talks about. If we've just kind of been dancing around with 
sin in our lives. I think some of us are going to actually rise above that, maybe for the first time in your life, and really understand it. No, I have been reborn. This is a new kind of life. It's not just a Jesus-flavored version of my old life. It's a new life entirely. All right? And we'll start understanding to a greater degree how we're different than the world. Right? We are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John wants us to be sure that there's a difference. And we might exist together. It's like the, the parable of the wheat and the, the tares. You know, we kind of grow up together in the present age. But at the end of the age, the angels are coming and they know the difference. Right? So we exist in this world, but don't get confused. Don't be confused. Your proximity to the world and your existence in the world doesn't mean that you in any way are like the world. John said, or and Jesus prayed in John's gospel. He said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them, that you sanctify them within the world. Consecrate them within the world. Sanctify them in the truth. He says, your word is truth. All right? Amen. We're victorious. We are overcomers because God is greater. And all the other lyrics that we sang (laughs) at the beginning of the service. Yet not I, but through Christ in me, right? Um, Beautiful. Yeah, that's the the truth I think God wants to, to minister to us tonight. All right, um, well, let's prepare our hearts to come to the table.